Blog Talk Radio. We the best music, the best music. I worked my whole life for this one. Another one, another one, another one. DJ Khaled, 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 and welcome to the show. This is your girl, the Literary Diva of Blog Talk Radio. And welcome into a very special episode that you guys surely don't want to miss. And today's episode is all about our family, our partner, none other, Sean, an author. I have to put author up there because he is definitely published and doing big things. Published author, Sean XLG Mitchell, and we will be discussing his book shortly. I'm bringing him in shortly, so <clears throat> clear my throat there. <laughs> but good afternoon. I'm sorry. Good af- Good evening. My brain is going a little cuckoo. Do you guys ever have that issue where you kind of been running and running all day? But nonetheless, good evening and welcome into the show, everybody. This is your girl, the Literary Diva of Blog Talk Radio, and shout out to all of you guys that are listening in right now. We definitely love you guys and we appreciate you guys. For always tuning in, even if it's not during the live show, just always tuning in to what we're doing here. Because without the listeners and without all the support from all of the PR companies and just people in general, just individuals, you know, um, you know, n- not just my show, but a lot of shows wouldn't be around. So thank you guys so much. Much love to all of the listeners and all of you that are listening right now. So thank you guys so much. Now, as I was saying, um, we have a very special guest who isn't new to the show. He is definitely family, always a partner, (laughs) an idea guy, definitely, definitely making things happen in a lot of different areas in the entertainment world, and we're going to be discussing his brand-new book. And, of course, if you guys do not have the book right now, you need to go to Amazon.com to go get it. It is titled The African-American Spiritual Practice of Seven Keys to Kamat, and it's a a lifestyle of faith, health, wealth, and power. And I believe that you guys will be loving this book. And... uh, as always, we, I just want you guys to just share it. Share it with your friends and family. Share it with your coworkers. Share it with people that don't know a lot about this so that they can be, in, you know, just literally inspired. Um, and, and once again, we always encourage all of you all to read outside of what you would normally read. You know, kind of dive into some of those um some of those genres that you wouldn't ordinarily dive into because at the end of the day, who knows, you may discover that you love something new. And who would have known unless you would have dove into another genre that you wouldn't ordinarily dive into. So we always encourage that here. (laughs) But nonetheless, let's go ahead and bring in our guest, our partner, our family, very creative brother. Let's welcome in author Sean X. L.G. Mitchell. Hi, Sean. Uh, how are you? I'm um, doing well. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And I just want to totally apologize to you for this morning. I totally apologize about that. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was it was really fluky and it was like really random and that really never happens to me, but I'm just like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe that this is really happening." No, I'm serious because I never like you know, even in the season now, even in the hot summer mm-hmm. season, people tend to catch a cold. I never get sick. It was so crazy and so random. It was crazy. But nonetheless, um, you're here, and we can't wait for you to tell us all about your new book. But first, but first, for all of the brand-new listeners that have never really listened in, would just give us like a short, you know, backstory about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um my background is in hip-hop, of course. Uh, I started uh, as an MC at a young age back in 1979. <laughs> so I came up with the old-school hip-hop. Uh, when the Sugar Hill Gang, Curtis Blow, Grandmaster Flash era, uh, Treacherous Three, Kumodi, uh, that particular era came up through the golden age of hip-hop. I uh, did a lot of uh, promotions at that time um, with uh, hip-hop concerts, uh, working with uh, radio stations down in uh, North Carolina at that time. Uh, by 1990, I became the first rapper to win a na- uh, national music competition. Uh, went on to do some recording. Also did the uh, Initiative 37, which uh, I did a rap video for Initiative 37, which helped pass the Nuclear Weapon Disarmament Act in Congress back in 1993, uh, did some underground hits, uh, worked with Charlie Prince of Rockmaster Scott and the Dynamic 3. Uh, he and I got together and uh, did a compilation album together. Uh, did some work with Cool Rock and the Fat Boys. And, uh, in fact, Cool Rock and I are in the process of working on his autobiography. Uh, so that will be an upcoming project. Uh, hopefully be released by uh, early 2018. And I know he just did an interview with uh, – Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, so awesome. everyone will get a chance. Yeah, peep that out. Peep his uh, interview out with Rolling uh. Stone magazine. But, yeah, but that's pretty much my background. And then, of course, I've been writing books on hip-hop. And then coming out of hip-hop, uh, there was an era in hip-hop where you had Kara's one, uh, Public Enemy, Kumo D, uh, The Poor Righteous Teachers, uh, X-Clan. You had uh, a powerful pro-black movement that came out of hip-hop, blur movement that came out of hip-hop, I got drawn into it because I was already a hip-hop head anyway. So I got drawn into that pro-black movement, and which led me to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. And that was the first book that I read that was a series of books since I had been out of college. And so I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, changed my life completely upside down. It made me took blinders off that I never knew I had on. And uh, wow. so it raised my level of consciousness and it completely transformed me. Uh, so from from the autobiography of Malcolm X, fast forward to 2017 and 200 books later, because wow. I've read uh, in excess of 200 books since I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X. So it triggered uh, <laughs> uh, a movement inside of me. Uh, that um, that led me to write the African American spiritual practice of seven keys to Kama Ad, my new book that's out now. Um, so I would have to say that um, the influence of hip hop uh, led me to the uh, pro black movement, and 
the autobiography of Malcolm X 200 books later <laughs> led me to uh, create a spiritual practice for African Americans. One of the first things that um, we have to understand as African Americans, and which we never really get this type of reality because we grow up in America and the mainstream America is based on the culture of white America. And, uh, and because we've always lived within their reality and we've always viewed the world through their cultural lens, we've never seen ourselves as an African people. Uh, when you look at the, yeah, and when you look at the elements of culture, language, education, religion, names, and, and customs, Everything that uh, we should have that should be African has always been European. So uh, we speak the English language, which is the language of the European people. Uh, our education is based on a European-centered education, from Christopher Columbus discovering America to George Washington, Lincoln Einstein, uh, Socrates, Greek philosophy, so on and so forth. But the basis of our education is basically a European-centered education or white America European-centered education. And so when you get to religion, most of us practice Christianity. Uh, most of us don't realize that African-Americans became Christians during slavery because it was the religion that the slave masters forced on our ancestors. And I'm not saying that uh, to really, uh, you know, criticize black Christians. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm trying to explain is how we became Christians. And so um, that was our experience where the religion was forced on our ancestors during slavery. And so that's how African-Americans became Christians. Uh, and when you look at uh, our names, the majority of us have European names. Uh, we have the names of the people who owned our families during slavery, whether our last right. names are Johnson, Jackson, Miller, Mitchell, or whatever have you. Lord. Those are the names <laughs> of the people. <laughs> yeah. But realistically speaking, yeah, they're the names of the people who owned our great-grandparents uh, during slavery. And so by the time you get into customs, whether you're talking about celebrating the 4th of July or whether you're talking about Easter or Thanksgiving, all of those customs that we practice are European customs. So African-Americans have been taught to live in a European reality that's not an African reality. And culture is the backbone of every race of people on the planet who are successful and have a bit of independence and power. So we, if you look at the Chinese, if you look at the Russians, if you look at the, uh, the Jews from Israel, if you look at the Arabs mm -hmm. uh, from Saudi Arabia region, uh, all of those races of people, including white America, all of those races of people have a sense of power and a sense of independence uh, because they all practice their own culture. And so their language, education, religion, names, and customs are all centered around their culture and their history. And so that's what they are able to pass on to their future generations to maintain and sustain that type of power. Uh, but you have to first have those elements of culture to bring the race of people together. And that's what African Americans are missing in the United States. We never had that because it was taken away from us during uh, slavery. And um, just to point out the issue of uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. I think it's a I think it's a great movement, uh, and it's pretty much an extension of the Civil Rights Movement 
uh, that our parents' generations went through back in the in the forties, fifties, and sixties. And so it's like a new it's like a new era of of an ex- extending back from the civil rights era. And part of the problem as to why we're still faced, you know, you, if you look at the civil rights movement started back in the 1940s or 50s, and then you're looking, we're 2017, and we're still marching over around the same issues of police brutality, right. inequality, racism, and the reason why we're still addressing an issue that's now 60 or 70 years old is because we don't have those elements of culture. And when a people can begin to embrace their elements of culture, it brings them together in unity. And unity is the precursor of power. And so you Sean, can't have I power. want to ask <clears throat> I don't yeah. mean to cut you off, but I want to I want to ask you this because you know, a lot of us, you know, we follow or we're a lot of us, you and I, and, and a lot of other people are tuned into what's what's happening like around the world. And you said, you know, you're talking about Black Lives Matter. I understand what the movement is all about, but what do you say to people who are brown people, just like you and I, who say mm-hmm. that they are, who say that they really wouldn't want to be associated with Black Lives Matter? Because of the root of Black Lives Matter and what it has become now, um, you know, they were um, intertwined with Hillary during the, you know, election period and um, the other guy who was a billion-dollar guy. What do you say to people who say Black Lives Matter is a fraud and stuff like that? Because I have heard that, and I'm not saying that it is, but... Do you feel like people like that don't understand what the movement is all about or that they just want to separate themselves, period? Yeah, I think for for the most part, I think people don't understand what the movement is about. And I think the, uh, the pain uh, that families feel when their loved ones are shot and killed, yeah. um, that's real. That's, that pain is real. So if you go back and you look at the video where Eric Gardner is telling the the officers he can't breathe, and if you look at what happened before he was put into a chokehold, he was just leaning on the side of the building after he just broke up a fight. So he was Mm. outside. No one saw him with a cigarette. And whether he was selling a cigarette or not is really irrelevant because the police – surrounded him, put him in a chokehold, and they wouldn't have done that had he not been a black man. And the fact that the police can look at someone like Eric Gardner or any black man and devalue their lives to the point where they feel as though they have a right to beat them, arrest them, harass them. And then when you look at these other videos that has come around looking at the uh, the sister who the cops straddled out in Los Angeles and he beat right. her like uh, she was the man. And you True. look back, you go yeah. If you go back to Rodney King, um, it's inexcusable for five police officers, four or five, to surround a man who's unconscious and not moving, and they're steady beating him with billy clubs, and he's not moving. And so when you're looking at the 
the police brutality. And to be honest with you, um, this has always gone on in the black community for many True. years. It's just we're now in an age of technology where a lot of this is being caught on camera and being put out there into the media. But it has always happened. It has never not happened uh, in, in the uh, black community. And uh, we just live in a technology age where now people can post things on Facebook and, and, and YouTube, and you can see these things happening uh, versus 40 years ago when they were doing it. Um, I remember the first time I was stopped and came to a realization that, oh, okay, I'm a black man. <laughs> and that was when I was actually in college, and I was walking home, and uh, it was me and uh, one of my brothers. We were walking home, book bag full of books, because we just came from college, from the uh, campus. We're walking. We get a cop pulls over, uh, a white cop, stops us, wants to search into our bags, and asks wow, us what we're John, doing, where wow. we're going. Absolutely, absolutely. And so those types of experiences are experiences that black men have always gone through. And it's just now with Black Lives Matter and the technology that a lot of these stories are being told and being uh, put out there. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, the history there uh, where people now looking at, well, people have always looked at us and devalued our lives and um, and looked at us as though our lives were expensive. And so, oh, okay, so you can beat this person because you look at them as being powerless. They don't have a voice. And uh, when you go into the... Uh, a lot of black communities, you see this type of um, policing taking place. But it has always been there in the black community. Wow. And that's the thing about it is that, you know, I I feel to some degree because our history has become, you know, extinct or non-existent or we just don't know enough that some of our brothers and sisters would rather separate from, you know, from a lot of us brown folks because, yeah. you know, I hear mm-hmm. that, you know, some feel it's like, you know, it's better to separate than um, try to understand, but you can't separate. You're brown just like we're all brown. And That's right. It, right, and it just bothers me when you hear about, um, you know, of course, a lot of people are doing these ancestry tests now, you know, the ancestry of DNA tests now to figure out, you know, what, where they've come from, you know, like as far, you know, who they're intertwined with. And I think that that's wonderful. But, you, but if you notice and you hear, it's like, you know, I wonder if I'm something else. I wonder if I'm something else. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like, you know, they want to separate. And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's like a lot of people, but it's enough that it's just made me just want to take notice, like, really? <laughs> you know, like, wow. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I don't uh, understand it. It's, it's, it's a side effect from racism. Uh, racism rears its ugly head in society all the time. Racism never sleeps. It's 24-7. Um, and what I mean by that is when black people have been taught all their lives that they have no history or they have a limited history and that God is white 
Jesus is white. Jesus is mm. the son of God, so God must be white. You go to school, you learn all about the history of white people. Uh, your whole life has been uh, all the images that you've been subjected to your entire life has taught you that white is good, black is bad. And mm. so, you you know, we we go through life with those types of uh, subliminal messages overt and covert messages all our lives impacting us psychologically to the point where we want to distance ourselves from being black because we were always taught that being black was being inferior and being white is being good. And so you have Thomas who wants to move away from the masses of the people and want to marry a white woman because he's trying to escape his skin color and, uh, to a certain extent, Michael Jackson, Sammy Sosa, uh, a lot of those celebrities have been doing it. You know, if you marry a white woman and you try to uh, deny your black ancestry and try to distance yourself from being black, you you sort of feel like you're moving away from that level of inferiority. Uh, so it's a psychological damage that's been done to the minds of most of our people. And uh, unfortunately, you have some people that take that um, – that are affected more so than others. So somebody like a Clarence Thomas, if he yeah. could go in, in, in the bathroom and come out blonde <laughs> and, and, and completely white, he would probably do oh, it in wow. a happy second. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would. You, I mean, you, yeah. he probably would. And it, it's just, it, it, it just seems that, you know, and I'm not saying a lot of them do this, but there's enough. And I know that you here lately. I know that you saw all the hoopla around OJ uh, getting paroled, <laughs> and he will be out <laughs> in yeah. October. Yeah. So I know you saw all of that. You know, people like mm-hmm. him, and you know, there's some great NFLers and NBAers and folks out there just like that that, you know, do love their brown people and stuff like that. I, I I get it. But why is it that they just kind of veer off and it's like, okay, well, let me go over here and dip my foot into the snow? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, why that, do you that, think that, that is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens a lot. I, I know one of, the, uh, one of the first things that I notice in terms of racism is that the higher educated a black person is, the more likely they are to act quote unquote white and to right. distance themselves from being black. And so you look at someone like a Clarence Thomas, he has a law degree, you know, and you can you can kinda like go down, uh, go to the top, see who has the law degrees or whatever, and then you can kind of see how they sort of uh distance themselves from the masses of our people and start to mm. rub shoulders aside. And the same thing a lot of times pro athletes, they come into that type of money and so they begin to bring themselves around circles of people that don't come from their community. And so that's one of those things where black people have been suppressed so long that when you get that kind of money it's like, oh I finally made it. <laughs> right. My neighbors are white. <laughs> so they get this disillusion. <laughs> Yeah, you know, a lot of them get this uh, disillusion that, um, and that's because, like I was saying earlier, uh, when you suppress black and you you're taught all your life that you're inferior because you're black, uh, they mm-hmm. begin to look at anything of success or whatever as being allowing 
them to go shop now. At, they don't have to go to the box stores. They can um, shop elsewhere <laughs> and mm. go get these, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, outfits. Uh, yeah. Pair of shoes that cost $2,000. Right. You know, that's crazy that to me. $10,000. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy. That is crazy. Uh, now, yeah. when I was reading your book, I was loving a lot of the recipes. Um, how did you come up with a lot of these recipes? Because I'm definitely going to try some. <laughs> yeah, try some. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, <laughs> actually, when I was putting the book together, I was actually literally for years I had been collecting bits and pieces from here and there. And I was putting, compiling a lot of information together. And so years ago I came across some of those recipes uh, that were good and healthy recipes for us, you know, uh, a healthy version of soul food uh, as mm. opposed to a lot of the bad types of soul food that leads mm. to diabetes and high blood pressure and a lot of the other problems, colon cancer, a lot of the other problems True. that a lot of our people are dealing with. So when I came across that piece of information, I was like, oh, wow, that would be great to add to the book. And so I was piecing together different things for a long time <laughs> and putting it together before I even came out with the book. And so I had wow. collected that information some years ago. Yeah. yeah. I have never, you know, catfish, I love catfish. I think it's delicious. But catfish stew with rice, it sounds really, really good. And, I, you know, I lived down south for a number of years, and I'm I'm sick. Oh my God! That's all they eat. It seems like it's cat, fried catfish, yeah. and it's like wow. But this really sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of healthy options um, for us, and I really thought it was important to include that part in the book because a lot of a lot of people have always been taught how to view the world from a religious standpoint, but most people have never been taught how to view the world from a spiritual standpoint. Right. And, uh, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between the two. Uh, and yes, just to is. give you, uh, yeah, uh, a brief example is that someone who's thinking from a religious standpoint, they're thinking if I, if I go to, uh, a service, whether it's a mosque or kingdom hall or church or what have you, uh, they're doing their due diligence, uh, in serving God. From a spiritual standpoint, serving God is 24-7. There is no break in serving the creator. And so everything that you eat, everything that you think, all the music, the music that you listen to, everything is spiritual. Everything has a spiritual relevance to it in in the world. And so taking care of your health is a spiritual experience. And a lot of people have never been taught to see it that way, but it is a spiritual experience. I believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, a whole lot of us was, you know, made to go to church. You know, you have to go to church, go to church, go to church, go to Sunday yeah, school, you know, you know, go to the church. Um, you know, if there's a church camp, we had to do that and things yeah. like that. But, you know, we were kids and that's all we did was just go to church right. on Sunday yeah. during exactly. the summer, church camp and stuff like that. But you but you are so right. Like we never really got the benefit of just learning how to connect spiritual wise. It was all about read the Bible, you know, but 
<laughs> you know, and even with that, like they didn't really give us a true understanding of what was really happening, at least from my understanding. So, oh, you know, absolutely. You you just hit the nail on the head. I was uh, sharing with a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, my experience because I was actually a deacon at one point in, in a church. So, oh, my goodness. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and the funniest story, the funniest story that I can tell you about that experience is that I had read the Bible from cover to cover twice, and I never saw what was right there in front of my face. I never saw it. Right. And it begins with the story of Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve has have uh, two sons, Cain and Abel. And the story mm-hmm. tells you that uh, Cain murders Abel, which means that, if Adam and Eve were the first two people on the planet, they had Cain and Abel. There's only four people on the planet. If Cain murders Abel, there's only three people left on the planet. Cain went east where he met his wife is what the story says. Where did the wife come from? So it's like, wow. And I never mm-hmm. saw that when I was reading the story. But when you come out of that, because most people are are raised with fear. Most people are taught to believe out of fear as opposed to believing out of faith. And so when you believe out of fear, you can't see the truth when it's in front of you. But if you come out of that fear, you'll be able to look, has always been there, but you've never been able to see it or recognize it because you were never taught to see through the eyes of uh, of truth, you were just taught I to agree. accept it as truth. Yeah. So I was like, wow. So where did King's wife come from? That's yeah. a crazy story. It is. <laughs> but uh, it is. yeah. But when when a person raises their level of consciousness and you begin to open up the third eye, you begin to see things that have always been there <laughs> that you never I really agree. paid attention to. Yeah. I totally you're so right on that because you have a you talk about understanding mind power. And yeah. I I am a big oh my god, that's like my fate. I love that. I love I love I love talking about that because that's a that's a true I mean, that's a inside outside connection that mm-hmm. that an individual has to, like they would only understand it if they connect within themselves. Like they would only know that. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you go into talking about this. Can you talk a little bit more about this and why you feel like mind power is really important? Absolutely. In fact, it was the the um, when I decided that truth existed beyond religion, and I began to search and research other uh, religions, um, I ended up on a path that led me to mind power. And and this is before I had ever heard of The Secret, you know, Mm -hmm. Winfrey had had those guys on her (laughs) show. And I had never heard of that at the time. And this was like something that was independent with my own research. And so I was like, I started seeing things. I was like, okay, I know religion has some issues. I need to seek truth outside of religion. And once I decided to do that, I was like, okay, what is out there that we can say is is a spiritual experience? So I began to 
noticed that things were happening based on people's perceptions or people using what we call mind power. And one of the experiences, one of the early experiences, and I talk about it in my book, uh, two examples. One was with my father uh, who had been rushed to the hospital. My father went into a coma. And uh, the doctor, uh, and I'm not going to say who the doctor was or where all this happened, but it actually happened up in uh, in the uh, D.C. metro area. But my father had... uh, was kind of bad off at that point, and the doctor met with my mother and uh, one of my brothers, and the doctor said that uh, my father would never recover and that he was brain dead, and um, basically you guys should pull the plug. And this is what the doctor said. (laughs) Yeah. And so my mom came back. We had a family meeting. So we were discussing all of this, and uh, my mom decided she was going to hold out on faith. And shortly after, all of these people started coming in, visiting my father. So it was family, it was friends, it was neighbors, people from out of town, whole groups of people coming in and out of the hospital. All of a sudden, he begins to get better. And really? so I'm sitting back, and yeah, so... After these visits and all of these people coming to see him, all of a sudden, he comes out of the coma. Wow. He's able to open his eyes. He's able to see and understand what's going on. And so within a few months, he was actually released from the hospital and actually uh, went back to being 100% healthy. And I was looking, yeah, and I looked at that situation. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? So you begin to look at it and analyze it. I think you begin to say, okay, there's something going on spiritual that I can't explain, mm-hmm. I can't put a finger on. So I looked at that. Uh, I shared experience with uh, my wife being diagnosed with lupus. Um, she yeah. was um, given that diagnosis some years ago. And uh, the information we were receiving from the doctor is that there's no cure for lupus. Uh, you just have to take uh, these medications. So, so we've heard. It was like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we were given, uh, she was given like six different medications. Um, I can't even, yeah, so she was taking it every day. All of a sudden, she months later, started gaining weight and dealing with the side effects of the medications. Yes, I've seen, no, I've I've totally seen that. That's happened to members in my family, too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so uh, there came a point where she got depressed, which is another side effect from one of the uh, medications. And she got tired of taking medication, and she decided cold turkey, she was going to stop taking medication altogether. So it was like, okay, now the doctor is saying, okay, well, she's going to die. So I began to do some research, and I came across uh, some information on uh, on um, something called coral calcium, and it was used to uh, treat lupus. It's like, okay, well, let me order some of this. So <laughs> put an order in, shipment came about a week later. So I give it to her. She starts taking the coral calcium. Now, at the same time, because we had always, because at that point, we we had really gotten into um, spirituality at that time. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you're doing your spiritual things 
uh, the meditation, you know, and all the other spiritual aspects that you're doing on a on a daily basis. So she starts taking the coral calcium. All of a sudden, bam, side effects and symptoms start to go away. Wow. So energy, energy returns. So body is renewed. All of a sudden, she goes back to the doctor, and the test comes back negative. She no longer has lupus, or it's gone into remission. And it's Stop it. Not, it's not supposed to do that. Lupus is not supposed to go into remission. You know, once you have it, you have it. And then you, yes, you die yes. from it. Or you die from the side effects of the medication because right. she had post, had she stayed on the medication, she would have gone blind, her uh, kidneys would have shut down, and then she would have died like 10 years after being on the medication. So the plan was that she was going to die. And once she gave up that medication, and then we started doing our spiritual things, the mind power, the focusing on, on the focusing on healing uh, the body, and um, doing the exercises with the meditation, all of a sudden the lupus goes into remission. And even to this very day, it's never came back. She's been living a healthy amazing. life the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And that's what uh, I share in the book. Because yes, I want people yes. to know that there's a whole different aspect of spirituality that can make positive changes in your life. And African Americans, we need that. We need to know that there's something of substance that can empower us. And so I that's agree. what, yeah. And because it's one of the cultural elements that I spoke about earlier, having a faith in our own God as opposed to believing in the gods of other people. And um, so beginning to practice spirituality and maybe moving away from religion altogether is not is really not a bad thing for us to consider doing. But the I personal agree. experiences, and once I saw what happened to my father, I saw what happened to my wife, and I began to piece it together, and that's how I figured out mind power. So I yes. began studying mind power ever since that time. I was like, I was just basically doing it on my own and and like I said at that time this was before Oprah came out with the secret and I heard all of these mm-hmm. other people who now like uh Dr. Uh Chopra that he talks a lot about it mm-hmm. and I really mm-hmm. didn't know him at the time and it's only now it's only later after I discovered it for myself that I realized that there's a whole field <laughs> that's already where people other people have already uh, came to the same conclusion that I came to, yes. came to about mind power and that how you can heal your body by using your mind. And so I saw it. So it was uh, an amazing journey. And I speak on the, there's a movie that came out some years ago, and I did some research behind the movie, um, the real-life events. But the movie is called Men Who Stare at Goats. And they, it comes across as a comedy in the movie, but if you ever do research into the real uh, people who were involved in that uh, military study, you'll see it was a very serious study that was taking place. And they actually had events that occurred using mind power. That's absolutely amazing uh, if you ever get a chance to uh, check into that. Um, the guy that. who wrote, Yeah, the guy who wrote the King's Speech, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. And two weeks before surgery, uh, his wife prompted him to think about um, him being healed. From She said, what if you go in in two weeks 
and there's no 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 more cancer. And uh, so he kind of um, discarded what she said, but he later decided that he had nothing to lose. He would begin to focus that he had a clean bladder and that it the cancer was gone. And he began to think about that throughout the whole day, every single day. And by the time the two weeks came for to do the surgery, there was no cancer there. Cancer had oh gone. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, the cancer was gone. And this is the guy who won an Oscar for the uh, the screenwriter for the King's Speech, the movie. That came out, I know you were uh, 2009 or something like that, the King's Speech. Uh, but he was the screenwriter who wrote it. Um, but, yeah, he was diagnosed, I want to say, with stage four bladder cancer. And as he began to concentrate that he had a clean, cream-colored bladder line, and that's what he described it as, and he thought about it every single day throughout the day. And by the time two weeks came, the cancer was gone. And so there's a lot of healing power that, that humans have. It's an innate power that we all have. I mean, people exercise it all the time. They just never realize that they've been doing it. And it's like one of the things that, um, one of the examples that you can tell people where they'll begin to recognize it is that you ever been anywhere and felt someone staring at you because it happens to everybody. You know, someone stares at you, and after a while, you turn around and look, even though you yes. never saw them. Yeah, you you never saw them staring at you, but you could feel it. And yes. So your, <laughs> yeah, and your ability to feel it is actually your intuition. That's a part of your mind power. But most people never recognize it because it was never, it's never been taught to be a quote-unquote reality type of thing. So, oh, that's not real. You know, that's crazy. But in reality, those are those small experiences that everybody has on a regular basis. They just never pinpointed it or identified it or looked into it. But in the medical profession, they have what is, what is called a placebo effect. And before they release medication, um, new medication out into the general public, they test it. And what they do is they take a group of people who are sick with the same illness, and they take half the group and they'll give them the real medication. The other half of the group, they'll give them the fake medication, which is a sugar pill, which is a placebo. A sugar pill? Is that what that is? Yeah, placebo is basically a sugar pill. It does nothing. It has no (laughs) medical qualities, medicinal qualities at all. It's just a, a simple sugar pill. And so when they do an experiment on the groups, every single time they do an experiment, the people who receive the placebo, a percentage of the people who receive the placebo have the same healing as the people who took the actual medication. And they can't explain why this continues to happen. Every time they experiment with medication, people want a placebo. Sometimes even more people taking a placebo than the actual medication. They actually heal. So in order for these, yeah. So in order for these people to heal, and all they're taking is a sugar pill, that tells you right there that they're healing because they actually believe in their minds that they're healed. They they believe that they've taken something that will heal them, but all it is is a sugar pill. So their mind is, is healing their bodies. Yeah, and this is that with is every really medication. Amazing. Yeah, that's and really this is amazing. The medical profession. 
Yeah. And and you know, my there's a there's um other there's some a few people that I know that has um arthritis. And mm-hmm. um I always say, you know, you know, the power is in your mind to heal your body, you know, because they say, oh, my God, my hands are stiff, and, you know, I'm on this medication, but I don't feel any better. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, look, you need to really change your mind and Mm -hmm. look at what you're doing on a daily basis. Change that up. Get mm-hmm. some exercise, eat right, but start meditating. And I right. and I just always tell them it will it will help you in more ways than you will ever know, more ways than you mm-hmm. will ever know. And you know, some people believe, some people don't. But you know, yeah. it's almost like people don't believe until it gets really bad. Right, right. And, yeah. And one of the one of the biggest problems that people have. Um, people's emotions trigger energy. And what I mean by that is when you get a group of people 